Listen, everybody's finding it hard to make ends meet these days, but if you are on a fixed income, it's even more difficult. I was reading this story uh, about um, a London high rise uh, where a woman was served an eviction notice on her 83rd birthday. And she is really concerned about her future because her rent has been $900 a month. And when you're looking at the average rent, even in London, it's $1,800 for a one bedroom. She's thinking to herself, I'm on a fixed income. I can't, I can't afford this. So it, it really shows and punctuates how big of a deal it is as we get older. We need a beautiful amount of money. Like we need a serious nest egg if we want to uh, age comfortably at home or if we have, if an emergency comes up. And that's why this caught my eye. There, the National Institute on Aging just released a report. It's called Could a National Long-Term Care Insurance Program Be a Feasible Solution to Address Canada's Growing Long-Term Care Crisis? Here to talk about it and, um, you know, walk us through national long-term care insurance in other countries, Laura Tamblin-Watts, lawyer and CEO of CanAge, an advocacy group for older adults. Laura, it's getting harder and harder for everyone to survive these days with inflation. Um, this is why people are thinking maybe now's the time to start socking money away, and maybe this has to be through a public and national long-term care insurance program. What would that look like? What does it look like in other countries? When we think about a long-term care insurance program, there's two different ways of going. One is private, and it's not been successful. You can, in theory, buy private long-term care insurance, but really it's so expensive and so awkward that nobody does. The second is an example that's held in other countries that we don't have here, which is essentially paying into a national scheme the same way that we pay into things like CPP or EI. And then it comes back to you when you need it. Now, it's important just for definition to remember that in this report, they're talking about long-term care. They're not just talking about nursing homes. They're talking about everything from home care, assisted living, retirement homes, and long-term care. And that's great because we need to keep people in the community as healthy and supportive as long as we can. Yeah, I'm happy that you brought that up because um, Samir Sinha, who who worked on this report, uh, has championed aging in place. How does this help future seniors stay at home? How would that work? Well, right now, the reality of the circumstance is we don't have a lot of savings. And when I say that, it's important to remember that the boomers owe $1.67 for every $1 that they actually have. In fact, our boomer generation is the most indebted generation that we've had in Canada. And with things like cost of living sharply increasing and interest rates making things even more complex, the idea of paying that off before folks get really in need is is becoming more of a dream than a reality. And this is the first time that we've ever had such a long-lived set of generations, which is terrific. We know that people want to stay in their homes, whatever that is, as long as possible in their communities. And so with only about 5% of Canadian seniors ever living in any kind of congregate care, part of our thinking is how do we make things like home care really robust? How do we use systems like the Nordic countries as examples for how do we get people to be able to access health care services, home-making services in the home to let them age in place. And the idea is you would pay into this system and then draw down from it when you need to later on. 
It's really interesting. Uh, one of the things I think we could get a pushback on, you know, uh, people don't like to think about tomorrow. They look, like to think mm-hmm. about today, right? And everybody is finding it hard to get along today. Uh, when they think about their taxes increasing, that's a hard sell. When you talk about these Nordic countries that already have long-term care insurance programs, do they, are they paying as much taxes as we are? What's their, uh, what, what are their uh, tax brackets like? It won't surprise you to know they actually pay usually a little bit more in terms of taxes. Now, it does depend on how those taxes are framed. So, as we know, the people who make the most money pay the most tax. But, of course, what we don't always factor in is that people can get pretty clever if they've got excellent, you know, accountants and advice and corporate structures to avoid tax. So, tax avoidance is a really important piece. A second piece is thinking about how corporations can be paying into tax better than they do right now. But it could be done as a separate model. So not everybody, for instance, has ever drawn down on EI. Uh, Most people will pull into CPP, not everyone, and draw down from it. So this could be, you know, another type of account that you add into it. Now, what's interesting is People say, well, why do we need like a third version? You know, we already pay taxes or we already participate in CPP. We already participate in EI. Why should I pay for a a long-term care plan? Isn't that what my taxes are for? Well, you know, it's a good argument. But it's hard to get people to think about the future. And if we don't do that... You know, we're not going to have the structures available for people. And we're already running so short of staff and placements that maybe we need to think about an alternative model. I think it's it's not it's worth definitely worth thinking about. Um, one of the things that you know you say people don't like to think uh, that far ahead, and I agree with with you on that. But think about your uh, nearer future, which means that you might be taking care of an aging parent. Mm-hmm. A lot of us do. Um, and uh, Pat Armstrong, who's an editor emeritus at York University and long term care expert, said that the assumption that care will be provided by family, especially women really takes a toll. Can you speak to that? About 75% of all care that's provided is provided for free by family members and friends and has historically been predominantly through women, although we're starting to see that close up a little bit um, as the reality of women in the workplace is, is more pronounced. We have what's called a dependency ratio, which sounds terrible, and that's, you know, how many people do you have that you're taking care of above you? So, for instance, I have my own parents and my husband's parents, and so we would have a dependency ratio of, you know, two to four or even one to four if you think about who's available to do it. That's mm-hmm. unusual. When we had families that were eight people 10 people, it wasn't hard to take care of your parents if you were eight kids taking care of two people. So what we, the assumptions in which we created our healthcare system was that there were lots of kids to take care of parents, parents would live multi-generationally with the kids, and we wouldn't have much healthcare needs because essentially you'd make it to 65, live a year or two, and then die. The reality of the circumstance is we have smaller families, people live longer and better, so we need new systems that's not just assuming that people will be able to provide that care and afford to provide that care as well. So, Laura, what happens now with this National Long-Term Care Insurance Program report? Where does it go? I think it really does need to go into the committee structure, and we're certainly at CanAge, our organization, suggesting that it be considered for policy by government and start costing out what it actually would cost. The challenge here is fundamental. We don't have enough people 
in the area of work to support seniors. And we have to make sure that it's not just the long-term care insurance that, you know, the money is available, but we need the people, the health and human resources. And when I saw that Doug Ford said that no longer will there need to be fees paid for tuition for police officers, my first thought was, well, what about nurses? Yeah. What about physiotherapists? What about geriatricians? What about people who work in long-term care? And so it's a matter of priorities. And I think part of our thinking needs to be, yes, we should talk about the finances and the taxes and whether or not this will work. The other is, how are we going to make sure that we have enough people to provide the care? Laura, I want to thank you for walking us through this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Laura Tamblin-Watts, lawyer and CEO of CanAge, an advocacy group for older adults.